0: What an incredible, joy-filled day this has already been, and I've got good news for you family. We are not stopping now. We're actually going to continue lifting high the name of Jesus, and we're going to do so this morning by opening up God's word to receive his truth, to remember his faithfulness to us. For those of you who are here for the first time, or maybe the first time in a while, I feel like I need to give you a little bit of a, a disclaimer, and I feel like I need to be up front with you here this morning, because you are going to hear the Easter story, but I should warn you, you're not going to hear it from the perspective you might be used to. See, we've been in this series called Three Days and Denials where we're looking at the Easter story, but we're looking at it from the perspective of Jesus' disciple, Peter. And the reason why we've chosen this, this was intentional, is because we feel that Peter's perspective is the one which most of us can ultimately relate to the most. After all, Peter was just like us. I know when you read the Gospels, you may not want to admit that. But if we're being honest, right, Peter was flawed just like us. He was prone to wander, to stumble, and even to fall, again, just like us. I think that's why so many of us are drawn to the story of Peter, because we see in him that his life was far from perfect, don't we? We see his struggle with sin. We see his struggle with weaknesses. And again, we see in him a little bit of ourselves. And for those of you who were here with us last week, we saw Peter's weaknesses on full display. Right? Peter's pride and his prayerlessness had caused him to drift so far away from Jesus that he wound up denying that he even knew him. Not just once either, but three times, as our series title suggests. Right? Peter failed in the area where he promised to be faithful. Peter failed in the area where he promised to be most faithful to Jesus. And so what we're going to see now in the three days that follow are two very distinct responses to that failure. We're going to see on one hand the response of Peter to his own failure, and then we're going to look at the response of Jesus to Peter's failure. My hope and my prayer is that by looking at these two responses, you might see a little bit of yourself in this story, but more importantly, that you'll come to find, to see, to experience the love. And the hope and the joy and the restorative power of Jesus Christ. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me? Let's bring that prayer before the Lord now. Father, we come before you on this Easter morning with glad and grateful hearts. Lord, we are so blessed to be your children. I ask, Lord, that you would meet us now. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you purify our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? that we might come to know you more, to love you more, and to glorify you with all that is within us. We pray these things in the name of your precious and risen Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the year was 1994. I was eight years old. Go ahead and do the math if you want in your head. And I remember being in this movie theater about to watch one of the greatest movies of all time. I can still remember the feeling of being in that movie theater on the edge of my seat as the trailers finish, Right, the screen fades to black and I hear this. Can you picture it, right? The sun is it's rising up over the horizon. The Pride Lands are being blanketed with light, right? All the animals are waking up. They're making their way to Pride Rock, right, to bow down before the Lion King, right? It's epic. It's got to be one of the most iconic opening scenes in cinematic history. It's the beginning of a true, true masterpiece. And y'all, there is so much to love about this movie. We don't even have time to get into that. But there is a reason why I'm bringing this story up. It's because this story wasn't a fairy tale. It's not what we've come to expect, right? It's not a princess looking for love. It's not a wooden doll that wants to become a real boy. Instead, it tells a story of how a young lion cub named Simba responds to failure. Stick with me here. I want to show you what I mean. How many of you remember this scene? How could you forget it, right? If you've seen this movie, you know this scene is, it's heartbreaking, right? Young Simba, he has just rebelled against his father, right? And he's run from him only to find himself needing to be saved by him from this stampede of wildebeest. And of course, like any good father, Mufasa goes and he saves his son. But of course, in the end, we know it costs him his life. And it results in this gut-wrenching scene where young Simba, he comes face-to-face with his failure. The Lion King, his father, was dead. And even though Simba didn't cause his father's death, he, he knew that he had contributed to it. And so we see how he responds, right? Overcome with the weight of his failure. Overcome with grief. What does he do? He runs, right? He retreats. He puts as much distance as he possibly could between himself and his failure. Do you see, family, that's the same exact way Peter responds after he denies Jesus. And whether you want to admit it or not, that's the same way we respond oftentimes when we come face to face with our own failure. We withdraw, don't we? we? We isolate. We retreat. That's our response to failure. Rather than deal with what we've done, we just find it easier to leave it all behind. And much like Simba, we go in search of that Hakuna Matata life, right? In case you've forgotten, it means no worries. A life free from problems. And here's the thing that may seem sweet or comfortable for a little while, but in the end, we come to find out that the Hakuna Matata life is a sham. Because all our running and retreating does is takes us miles and miles away from where we're supposed to be and more importantly, who we are supposed to be. That's why Simba, the majestic lion king, is out eating bugs and why Peter, the rock on whom Christ would build his church, is nowhere to be found when Jesus is nailed to the cross. See, in the end, all our running, all our retreating really does It takes us miles and miles away from a world that desperately needs us to engage. I believe some of you may find yourself in that same place this morning. You have retreated. I don't know if that's away from church. I don't know if that's away from family, away from community. But you have retreated, much like Peter, much like Simba. And now you find yourself disengaged. If that's you, I want you to hang on with me this morning because I've got some great news coming, I promise. But first, we need to quickly shift our attention back to Peter. Where we find Peter, well, we don't really know where we find Peter because, remember, at this point, he is retreated. So the only word we can use to describe him is that word disengaged. Nobody knows where Peter went or what he did after he denied Jesus. So all we know is that Jesus, he's taken from the high priest to Pilate, And Peter is nowhere to be found. And then Pilate hands him over to be crucified, and bold and brave Peter is noticeably absent. And even as Jesus is nailed to the cross with his his mother Mary there, mourning and weeping, Peter is long gone. So we may not know where Peter went, but we know that he's not where he said he would always be, which was right by Jesus' side. At this point, all we are left to do as readers of Mark's gospel is to wonder. And while it may be hard for us to pinpoint the the physical place where Peter was for those three days, it's not that challenging to think of where he was emotionally. Because each of us have been in that place, haven't we? And each of these disciples, right, they dealt with a devastating loss of Jesus. But Peter had that added shame and disgrace, knowing that he had denied Jesus in his greatest hour of need. And try as he might, there was no way that Peter could outrun that type of agony. So there's no question, those three days that Peter spent completely separated from Jesus would have been the longest and the hardest of his life. But thankfully for Peter, and thankfully for us, Jesus didn't leave him there. Jesus didn't leave him in that place. In fact, Jesus never leaves us in that place because the good news of the gospel, family, hear this. It tells us that while our response to failure may be to retreat, Jesus' response to our failure has always been and will always be pursuit. It's pursuit to bridge that gap that sin put between us. That means that in those moments where you experience the deepest depths of your failures and your brokenness, in those moments where you think you deserve it the least, he is the most faithful to pursue. Oh man, this is good news family. This is the best news. We see it all the way back in the garden at the very first sin and we see it even here at the empty tomb. So I want to invite you to join me. We're going to dive into the gospel of Mark now to see Jesus's response to Peter. So turn with me if you would to Mark chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Mark tells us Now, there is no doubt that all of this caught these women by surprise. They were not expecting any of this. Hence their fearful reaction that we see in verse 8. But did you notice the unusual thing the angel said to them? Did you catch it? In the midst of literally the most mind-blowing, eternity-shattering announcement in the history of the world, they tell these women to go tell the disciples and Peter. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? why would the angel single out Peter? I mean, just, just think about this for a second, okay? This is where my mind goes sometimes when I'm preparing these sermons. Like, think of all the other people that that angel could have told them to go tell this message to. Like, if it's me, I'm telling those women, hey, take this message first to all the haters out there. Right? <laughs> tell them, hey, you may have thought you killed Jesus, but guess what? You thought wrong, he's back. Right? Or, if they wanted to be a little less snarky than that, they could have said, hey, take this to those who have been faithful, right? It would have been a lot more fitting if the angel said, go tell the disciples and John. After all, it was John who was there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother, Mary. But instead, the angel shares a different message. It's not uh, one filled with antagonism toward the haters or even with appreciation towards the faithful. Instead, the message they deliver is one that's filled with affection for the one who had fallen away. Isn't it just like Jesus, the good shepherd, to leave the 99 to go in search of the one that went astray? Now, don't get me wrong. The others would receive this message in due time. But what we see here is that Jesus wanted Peter to be first. Because he knew that Peter, perhaps more than anyone else, needed to receive that message that even he would receive a second chance. Perhaps you find yourself in that same place this morning having wandered, feeling far distant from God and in need of that second chance. And if that's you, let me just point you to the empty tomb and to those two little words, and Peter. Because they tell us that the same Jesus that died and rose and left that tomb empty is the same Jesus that is coming in direct pursuit of you this morning. No matter how far you may have run, what the redemptive story of Peter and the good news of the gospel tell us that you can never outrun the goodness of God. That Jesus, the good shepherd, has come in pursuit of you today. And there are three important truths I want you to understand about his pursuit of you. For those of you note takers, if you haven't started yet, go ahead and get those pens or those phone apps out. Here are three things I want you to leave here knowing today. The first is that Jesus' pursuit of you is intentional. It's intentional. Now, there's some irony here in this story because At the point that the angel delivers this message, right, Peter is in his hour of greatest need. Peter was feeling alone and forsaken, much like Jesus was three days earlier. But rather than denying to know Peter, Jesus sends for him by name. That's how personal and intentional Jesus' love is. He doesn't shy away from our pain, our sin, our brokenness. He goes right back to that place and speaks to us with love. And the simple but profound way he does this is calling for Peter by name. I want you to notice here, the angel doesn't say, go tell the disciples and Simon. That would have made a lot more sense, right? After all, Peter had been operating in his old identity as Simon. But instead, Jesus calls for him by the name and the identity which he had given him. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And it may not seem like a big difference to you, but I want you to imagine that you are Peter here. I want you to imagine what that message must have communicated to him. Because surely in this moment, Peter must have been thinking that Jesus was wrong about me. He said I would be a rock. And I caved (laughs) at this little girl and her question. Surely Peter must have been thinking that he had failed to live up to Jesus' expectation, that he was not the rock that Jesus said he was. And then this message comes from Mary. That not only had Christ risen, but he had called for him by name. Not Simon, but Peter. Imagine the joy that must have filled Peter's heart. Imagine the hope that must have sprung up from within him to know that not only was his Savior alive, but that he still believed in him. That he still stood by the declaration that he had made over his life. Listen, family, I believe Jesus is communicating that same message to you. That sin, it may have wrecked havoc on your life. It may have caused you to retreat, but nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the pursuit of your Savior. Nothing can ever take from you the identity which he has given to you. Nothing can take the identity that he has given to you. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up, how far you have wandered. Because even when you are still far off like Peter, he calls you by name. He speaks to who he has declared you to be, not who anyone else has declared you to be. Let me tell you, family, it's it's important to believe in Jesus. But sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus still believes in us. He believes in you. That's why he's pursuing you. It's what the cross and the empty tomb, they prove to you. And the fact is, I'm sure that message, it must have changed everything for Peter. Unfortunately, though, Mark doesn't really record his response, so we actually have to jump all the way to the gospel of John to learn about what happens next. I'm going to paraphrase for you here, but you can find this story in John chapter 20, where we find Peter, who's actually with John, when they receive this message from Mary. And chapter 20 tells us that the two of them, they head out in this all-out sprint, I mean, put yourself in the sandals of of Peter for a second. You'd have to imagine the adrenaline rushing through his veins, right? He's going to go, and he's going to see Jesus. He's going to have this this, this, this storybook moment. He must have felt like he was flying on his way to the tomb, but then he gets there, and all that's there are some burial cloths. No angel, no Jesus. Not exactly what Peter was expecting. Not at all what he was needing in that moment. But the good news is that Jesus had something different in mind for Peter, something far more intimate. That's the second truth we see about Jesus' pursuit of us. We see that his pursuit is intimate. And again, we have to follow Peter on a bit of a meandering journey here through uh, the New Testament. And so we're going to have to go to 1 Corinthians 15 to see what happens next. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. Paul is revisiting the foundational truths of the gospel with the church in Corinth. And notice this important detail he mentions in there. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now Cephas is the Aramaic version of Peter. So Paul provides us this trustworthy account. But Paul wasn't there. Right? He received that from Jesus. which Take that as trustworthy. But in case you don't, let's look now to Luke chapter 24. Because there were two men who were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them. Then these two men, they go, and they go to tell the disciples what they had seen. And look at this. Luke 24, verses 33 and 34. It says, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So by gathering these testimonies, what we come to find is that not only did Jesus still believe in Peter, but that he longed to be near him, so much so that he actually sought out Peter first before visiting any of the other disciples. In this family, we see the tender heart of Jesus. Because again, if you were to put yourself into Peter's sandals for a moment, imagine how you would feel if Jesus showed up and acknowledged you in front of all the other disciples. Whew, that wouldn't feel good. Or imagine if Jesus showed up to all the disciples and didn't even acknowledge that you were there. Man, that would be cold, right? But that's not Jesus. It doesn't sound like him at all. See, even though Peter had denied Christ publicly, Jesus still chose to forgive him privately. In fact, the only thing we see Jesus do publicly is restore Peter. That's a great story. You're going to have to come back next week to hear that one. But for now, let's revisit the reunion between Peter and Jesus, because I'm sure you're still wondering, what must that moment have looked like? Again, unfortunately, all we can do is wonder, but I'm fairly certain that moment would have been filled with tears. I'm sure there were deep cries from Peter's heart as he grieved over his sin and as he begged Jesus for forgiveness. I'm sure you're asking, how can I be so sure of that? Because I've experienced that myself. I've sat in the depths of my brokenness with my own wickedness, my own sin, my own failures, and I've had Jesus meet me there. Not to condemn me, but to comfort me. Not to reprimand me, but to remind me of who I am. And more importantly, to remind me of what he has done for me. See, it's in intimate moments like this, family, when our hearts are laid bare before a holy and righteous God, that second chances are received. So no, we don't know exactly what that moment looked like. But the reality is we have an entire Bible that's filled with stories of second chances that paint a pretty good picture for us, don't we? Perhaps none of them are actually so so vivid and so relevant as a story told by Jesus himself. It's a story that Peter, I'm sure, heard multiple times over the three years of following Jesus. The greatest story ever told about a second chance. I'm talking about the story of the prodigal son. Many of us know it well. It's the story of a young man who had gone in pursuit of his own worry-free life, only to find out that life didn't exist. Once that son came face to face with his failures, sitting in the middle of a pigsty, he decided he would return to his father. So he rehearses this speech in which he would come before his father and confess of everything he's done and ask if he could just be a servant. But that son didn't get the chance to even give that speech. Because when he returned home, he found that the father was already in pursuit of him. Not with a raised finger or a clenched fist, but with open arms full of grace. And in the same way that the father calls for a robe and a ring to be put on his son and a feast to celebrate him. I believe that Jesus in that moment did the very same for Peter. Reminding Peter of who he was. Clothing him with righteousness. And celebrating him with unending joy. See, Peter's response may have been to retreat, but Jesus' response through his death and resurrection was to come in a passionate pursuit of his prodigal. Not to speak words of condemnation, but to speak words of restoration. For Peter had been lost, and now he was found. He had wandered, but now he was home. He had failed, but now he had been forgiven the good news family the greatest news for you this morning is that the same way jesus pursued peter he is pursuing you today intentionally intimately in the same way he restored peter he longs to restore you here today graciously and generously so even though you may have denied him with your thoughts or with your words or with your actions Even though you may not have have loved him or trusted him with all that you have, Jesus knows you. He sees you in the midst of your sin, and most importantly, he is not willing to leave you there. See, Jesus knew everything about you, and he still willingly endured the cross. He never once denied you, and he has always been pursuing you, calling you by name. Even though we, like sheep, have gone astray and have been unfaithful, he has always been faithful. He has kept every single promise. Jesus' pursuit of you is intentional. It is intimate. And lastly, as I invite the band back up, it is invitational. It's invitational. Let me draw your attention back one more time to Mark chapter 16. See, amidst our wandering journey of Peter, I feel that we may have left out an important detail here. It's a crucial part of the angel's message. So look back with me quickly at verse 7. The angel tells them to go and tell the disciples and Peter what? That Jesus was going before them to Galilee. In other words, he's saying, Jesus isn't here. He has risen, and he has risen because he still has work to do. This was the entirety of the message that the woman was supposed to give to the disciples. That Jesus' mission was continuing and he needed each of them to do that. Yes, including you, Peter. So, how would Peter respond? We've seen how he responds to failure already, haven't we? But how would he respond to the pursuit of Jesus? You'll notice something if you look in Mark. He doesn't say. He doesn't say. That's actually a key feature of the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the reasons it's my favorite of the Gospels. It's not that Mark doesn't know what happened to Peter. In fact, it's commonly understood that Mark received this eyewitness account from Peter himself. So why doesn't Mark include Peter's response? Because the Gospel isn't a story about how Peter responds to Jesus. It's a story about how we respond to Jesus. That's why Mark doesn't try to tie up all the, the loose ends or give us insight into how others respond to Jesus because his gospel was written to invite us, his readers, to respond. In fact, if you look at your Bibles, it'll say there after verse eight that the earliest manuscripts end right there, that Mark intended to end his story on a cliffhanger, inviting us to write the final chapter with our own lives. See, if Mark had finished nice and neat, he would have left us with a story to read rather than one that we have been invited to play a part in. So make no mistake about it, family. Jesus has risen. The tomb has been left empty, but the Easter story is not yet complete. How will you finish the story? How will you respond to the pursuit of Jesus? It's a question you must ultimately answer for yourself. But can I encourage you to turn back to Jesus this morning. Because I know what you'll find. You will find a Savior who has already been in intentional, intimate pursuit of you. You stand to your feet now as I pray. Lord Jesus, what more can we say than thank you? There could never be enough words to describe and express our gratitude for what you have done for us, what you continue to do for us. We do not deserve the grace that you have given us, but we praise you, Lord, and we thank you for it. I ask now, Jesus, that as we close our time in worship, would you draw near to those who came here far from you? Would you meet with them intimately here now in this moment? Remind them of who they are. Remind them of whose they are. We long to be with you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your holy and precious name.